do it. All right. So my guest today is former Googler turned Kung Fu action film star turned life coach, Eric Couillard. How's it going? What's up, dude? Man of the arts and, and former roommate. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to get you on the podcast because you've lived a, a crazy life, one that I think a lot of people would envy. And, and so I wanted to get some more people to hear your story and some parts of the story I don't know, so I'd love to learn more. Yeah, cool, man. Thanks for all the kind words. And then, as I mentioned to you earlier, I'd like to try and keep this to half an hour, but there's tons of stuff I want to cover. So we might, uh, might go over and, and we'll just see what happens. So some of the things I would love to touch on include how you got to Google initially, uh, what made you take the leap to quit Google and move to China. I want to talk about Kung Fu, movies, TV shows, navigating through that whole art scene in China, sure. meditation, life coaching. So we have a, a bunch of things <laughs> on the docket. Uh, maybe we'll even split this up into another session if, if people are interested. Okay. Right on. So let's start with our final year in school. We were roommates. Your room was, was kind of a closet at the time yeah. <laughs> inside of a I lived room in your room yeah inside of a room that wasn't that big to begin with as i recall the the insulation was half made up with old underwear yeah <laughs> that. Ooh, that was interesting and one yeah. way or another we i never saw any part of the security deposit back i'm not surprised at all yeah i don't think we got anything back um so let's begin at that stage. How did you get yourself hired into Google as a Asian studies major? <laughs> uh, I also majored in something called organizational studies, which is closer to like businessy type shit, but not really. Yeah. Um, I got into Google doing AdWords. Uh, the way that I got in with, basically, I just decided when I was a junior in college, my brother was saying to me, like, hey, like, if you want to get a sweet job, all you got to do is figure out where you want to work, you know, just do all the research and just like focus on that one place and go towards that. So I was like, all right, that sounds like a good idea. Where's the tightest place to work? Google was at the time, I think, probably still is one of the tightest companies to work at anyways. So I just decided, you know, a year in advance or a year and a half in advance that I wanted to work there. I started doing all the research. I started meeting people who worked there. One of my cousins got a job there. And basically, I just like planned a ton of shit out to make it happen and went for it. Um, and I, I started I started planning for the interview at Google uh, a year before I even got an interview. Oh, really? Wow. I didn't know that. So... <laughs> I think uh, that's real. That was probably the key. It's just how much preparation I put into making that happen. So I give you a ton of credit for getting me my job there. It's kind of funny. You you prepared for a year for that interview. I I applied a year before I got my first interview with them. I totally mm -hmm. forgot about the fact that I had applied, um, and and <laughs> by that point I had already forgotten about them. And then they reached out a year later. And at that point, I think you had gotten the job. You basically hit up the recruiter and, and put in a good word. And I think that counted as an internal referral. So um, as far as I know, you know, internal referrals count as a huge, huge deal with Google. Uh -huh. So so much props to you for 
getting me my start. Yeah, man, my <laughs> pleasure. So uh, how did you enjoy your time at Google, and how long did you end up staying? I stayed at Google for about a year and a half. Um, Google is a really tight place to work. I mean, the, the management, I feel like what I was most touched by working there is I felt like my managers really cared about me, and even my manager's managers and my manager's manager's managers all like actually cared about me as a human being. And if I wanted to get in touch with somebody who was at a really high level, I could set up a meeting with them and go talk to them about, you know, whatever. Or sometimes they might even proactively reach out to me or to the whole team because they really wanted people to be happy there. So that was super awesome. I worked in the Ann Arbor office, which is definitely less tight than many other offices in terms of like perks. So like we don't have like slides. At the time, we didn't have a barista. Now there is a barista there. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Major plus. Yeah, big time. So, I mean, it wasn't as tight as the other offices in that in, in that sense. But what I found was that, and what a lot of people would say is that the Ann Arbor office people were much like nicer. I don't know if that's a Midwest thing. I don't know if it's a Michigan thing. But there was more of a sense of community because the group, well, there was only like 300 or 400 of us there compared to the other offices that have like thousands of people. Right. But I loved the food was awesome. I mean, I got... I was like living really cheaply, even though I was making big bucks. I was trying to pay off my college loans ASAP so I could go to China. So yeah. I would always like take a coffee cup and like fill it up with almonds, take that <laughs> home, or like I'd fill up my backpack with uh, you know protein bars or whatever the hell. So yeah, that's awesome. I think I, so. I did the exact same thing yeah. when I was there. People make fun of me for this, but it's a good story. Yeah, I I didn't have a single cup or bowl. <laughs> Or uh, utensil. So I had one utensil, which I took from work. It was a spoon. And I used that to eat yogurts on weekends that I took from work. <laughs> and it was awesome. Nice. I saved so much money. Yeah, yeah, same here. And it's ridiculous because they pay you well. But uh, I guess if you're trying to live that frugal life, it's possible. So it sounds like you already had plans to move to China even early on at Google. Yeah. Is that right? It- Basically, as soon as I got, because I applied to like a Google internship that I didn't get, and then it was just like you, I like, they just contacted me proactively, like, hey, we got this role for you. Well, then, you know, I had to interview and stuff after that. So, but as soon as I got the offer from them, uh, I just thought to myself, and this was when I was a senior in college, probably, I think it was like October of my senior year. And as soon as I got that offer, I was like, wow, it's pretty hard to get a job at Google. What can I do that is also really hard, but all, but at the same time, like way cooler? <laughs> um, and uh, I was like lining up. Okay, like what am I into? Like okay, I was a Chinese studies major. I like China. Um, I was watching like kung fu movies at the rate of like one every day at that time. So I love kung fu. That's I was, awesome. I was studying kung fu at the time. I was uh, watching a lot of movies. I was like, okay, kung fu, China, movies. How can I put these three things together? oh, I'll go to China and act in kung fu movies. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Makes yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Right. So shortly after I got the offer from Google, I decided that's what I wanted to do. And like that was always the plan. I was like, okay, I'll work at Google. I'll pay off my loans. I'll save up some money. And then I'll just go. Gotcha. So can you talk a little bit about your martial arts background up to that point? I guess – uh, leading up to college, in yeah. college, and then post-Google? So I started, 
I started training in martial arts. I started I actually started doing uh, capoeira, the the Brazilian break uh, yeah yeah dance like, like the dancing whatever. Because at the time, well, I I had done break dancing for a couple of years before I did capoeira, and that's why I wanted to do capoeira to like improve my break dancing skills really. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I did capoeira for like two years or a year and a half. I can't remember. But then our school got shut down. This was in high school that I started Capoeira, my sophomore year of high school, I think. Okay. Or maybe my freshman year, I don't remember. But anyways, I did Capoeira for like two years. School got shut down, and then like one of my friends uh, told me about this instructor who teaches Jeet Kune Do, which is Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So I started training in Jeet Kune Do, like in this like dude's basement. Um, it was awesome. And I, I trained with him for about two years when I was in high school. And then for like all during college, I didn't really do any martial arts. I think my senior year, I probably as soon as I got the offer from Google, I was like, oh, like I'm set. Like I'm just gonna train Kung Fu hard now. Wow. Um, so uh, <laughs> I went back into it. And then with Jeet Kune Do, I was doing like Filipino martial arts, which is like weapons, sticks, daggers, that type of stuff. Um, Wing Chun, Muay Thai, those are like the main this is all with the guy in the basement? Yeah, this is all like part of Jeet Kune Do, yeah. Okay, interesting. How much do you think your high school uh, martial arts experience helped or influenced your breakdancing? And then how helpful was your breakdancing in working with uh, the martial arts that you moved into after? I think it, it's all pretty relevant. I mean, like learning how to control your body, balance, momentum control, sensitivity a lot of the skills carry over and then the skills are all pretty similar it's just you know when you when you're thinking about it i guess it depends if you're thinking about okay am i doing this to fight somebody or am i just doing this to like learn how to control my body so it kind of depends there's a lot of skills that in breakdance i mean you know there's a lot of crossover but there's also a lot of different stuff gotcha and at this point did you already start getting into meditation and qigong or did that come later I started getting into meditation when I was in high school because I would go on like road trips with my family and my dad would always listen to lectures by like Jack Kornfield or Alan Watts, people like that. And then my brother, I had, I have three older brothers. My oldest brother was into meditation. So I like started getting into it in high school. I didn't really st- start getting serious about it. I like had spurts of being serious about it up until my senior year of college. That's when I like started doing it daily and then I haven't stopped doing it daily since then. Gotcha. Qigong came later when I started studying Shaolin Kung Fu. I didn't start studying Shaolin until I was uh, working at Google already. Um, I started studying Shaolin and I started learning some Qigong from the master there. That's one of my big regrets. So my dad is is a Tai Chi master, right? It's his like night job (laughs) or weekend job. And uh, he he trains a lot of people. He, He has a bunch of masters of his own in China. And... He always wanted me to pick it up, right? It's never yeah. too late. Yeah. <laughs> he, he even likes to say that we probably are in the lineage because, you know, the Chen style Tai Chi, the original form, yeah. is uh, is from an area that uh, that our family is from. Oh, for real? Uh, but, you know, everyone so probably claims it. Chen style? Yeah, well, he, he, he does every style, you know, and, and all, okay. you know, the Tai Chi sword and, and all that. Um Who's his like big master? Do you know? Uh, so that's that's part of the regret. You know, I don't know. I don't know anything. And the thing is, I've tried to um, I've tried to get myself into it recently, but 
it's different when you're trying to learn off YouTube <laughs> or yeah. something versus having someone who's invested in helping you figure it out for real, you know? For sure, yeah. Um, anyway, okay, so how did the transition to moving to China work? Because, okay, you're at Google, you're learning all this stuff in the guy's basement, you're picking up skills with these different weapons and techniques, and, uh, and how do you make connections into the, the industry? Basically, I just started telling everybody that I knew that, hey, I'm going to go to China and be in Kung Fu movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, part of that, part of that, like, made me feel like there's this concept of, like, throwing your backpack over the fence. It's like, okay, like, I'm telling everybody I'm doing this. Now I really got to do it. So there was part of it helped. Part of that helped push me over. But what also helped is that, like, helped network because I would tell people. And they would get like kind of excited because they're like, oh, most people think that that was pretty cool. They're like, well, that sounds awesome. Like, you know, people would get pumped about it and then they would want to help me. So maybe they might introduce me to somebody like I think my brother's uh, one of my brother's colleagues, friends was another was also a white guy who was doing acting in China. Um, so I got in touch with him that way. Um, and then this other girl I know who's a Chinese girl who lives in Michigan near me, I was like telling her about it. And she's like, oh, I have a friend who's like a Kung Fu actress in China. So like nice. that's those were my first like connections that happened in America. But really that happened because I just told everybody that that's what I was doing. People got pumped about it. They wanted to help me. And then. And so what did you have in your back pocket when you actually moved? Um. Nothing really. I just had I had this girl who was a kung fu actress, and then she took me to this. She's like, okay, this is where I train, um, and I went to her school. It was basically like just a bunch of other at, like people who work in the film industry all trained there, but they were all Chinese people, and like the Chinese action, like ch basically Chinese people as a white guy, Chinese people couldn't help me get roles. I had to talk to other white guys and figure out how they got roles. Because they work with like it's different worlds in in the world of of acting. Like a, a an actor who works with Chinese actors, I'm an agent who works with Chinese actors would never work usually never work with foreign actors. Also, I imagine since there's not that many roles for white guys, when you reached out to these people for help, was it a competitive thing or was everyone just pretty open to supporting each other? A little bit of both. Most people were pretty open. It, it was kind of like, as long as you don't look just like that person, <laughs> then you're not really. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, and I had a unique look because I was the dude with long hair. I didn't have a beard then. I should have had a beard then. It probably would have helped me. I was like a long haired dude. So there wasn't much. That was like my unique thing or whatever. Um, yeah. So for the most part, they're like, and it was funny, like when I got there, like the foreign actors were all like organizing, trying to come up with like, okay, like this is how much you should make every day. And like, oh, really? Together and like, cause, cause what happens is a lot of times there's a lot of corruption in the Chinese film industry, especially when they're trying to get foreign actors are like, okay, who's the cheapest person we can find? And they like get a lot of like Russian, like exchange students or like that type of stuff. And they'll pay them, you know, something really small, like $50 a day or something when you should be getting like $500 a day and then they pocket the rest of the money. So we were like trying to like talk to people and be like, yo, if you're trying to do this, like this is how much, this is how much they budget and this is how much right. you can get. So you got to stick to your guns and don't let them, don't let them mean mug you. Yeah. There's no, uh, I guess you guys are trying to form the white actor union of <laughs> for, sorts. For, well, foreign actor union. I mean, because there's foreign a lot of foreigners in there, but 
Okay. Mostly white white dudes. But we were gotcha. trying to start a union, but that has legal implications in China, and we were all pretty much working illegally anyways, so <laughs> it wasn't exactly a union. It was more like an informal, I think we called it an alliance, or I don't remember what the hell we called it. All right. Yeah. And, and so how did you get your first role, and what was it? The first, like, acting-related thing that I did was dubbing, um, and I dubbed over this movie called The Forming of the Party, which was this, like, terrible propaganda <laughs> movie that was hilarious. It, it had, like, the most... It had, like, every Chinese celebrity ever was in this movie playing super small roles of, like, you know, famous historical figures. And I did a voiceover for this one guy named Wang Li Hong. Yeah, of, <laughs> that's hilarious. Probably know about. I did voiceover for him and, like, a bunch of other random famous people playing, like, minor historical figures. <laughs> uh, you dubbed multiple people? Yeah, like, I basically had to, like, adopt different voices to dub different people. Then. <laughs> I got other dubbing projects through that. The most ridiculous dubbing project I had was some doctor TV show. It's basically a Chinese version of ER. And uh, they, they just had me dubbing like random shit because I came in like towards the end of the project. And one of the things they had me dub, I have no idea why they had me dub this, but it was a guy like, screaming and vomiting. And there's no, he didn't speak, he <laughs> spoke no Chinese at all. So I was like, why do you dub this? Why don't you just leave the original audio in? But I was like, all right, whatever. So I was like, it's yeah. like, going like, uh, <laughs> Like, for a while, it was pretty <laughs> fun. <laughs> That's awesome. So that was your first foray. And what was your first legitimate acting role? My first legitimate acting role was in this movie called Old Boys. Old, I think the full title is Old Boys Return of the Dragon, for no reason. But um, I was just like a mafia guy. Pretty much, I, I like kidnapped the main guys in the movie, and then, I don't know, threatened them, and like help put their head in an oven or something <laughs> yeah nice yeah that's awesome what was the movie that you were in where you uh in the trailer you killed oh, yeah. that super famous actress <laughs> <laughs> i showed that to my mom and she was she was flipping out yeah that movie was funny i only filmed in that movie for one day and i got to be in the trailer that was sweet because i killed the main actress who was um what's her name again uh leo Yifei. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I killed Liu Yifei. And I only filmed for one day, and I just, like, showed up and, like, just, like, kept stabbing this girl and screaming <laughs> at her. And But I was, it was funny because I was supposed to, like, thrash her around or whatever, and I was, like, you know, getting into it. But then I, like, yeah. forgot that, like, you know, when you're acting, you're not supposed to, like, really squeeze people. <laughs> I was, like, the girl showed me her arm, and it was, like, all bruised up. I was, like, <laughs> oh, man. That's <laughs> crazy. That's awesome, though. And, and so what was your... What was your favorite uh, movie experience to do? Definitely the Jackie Chan movie, Dragon Blade. You were in all the promotional pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Which I was in a awesome. couple. Yeah, that worked out. So did the uh, did that TV show, um, Experiencing Real Kung Fu, yeah. was that the last thing you ended up doing? Or, or was I that... did that over the course of like two years. I did because I was in like... I want to say six episodes of that show yeah. that we filmed like sporadically because it was a documentary and we had to go meet different masters and stuff. That's the thing where I've gotten the most coverage, I guess. This only happened a couple times. Where, like people would recognize me on the street from being in that one. Oh wow! Because I was, you know, one of the main hosts. It played. I don't really have a grip of Chinese television, but it seemed to be. One of the most popular, like basically something like NBC or ABC here. Yeah, like a primary um, network channel. Yeah, and it would play at like really high traffic times. Like they would play it during like national holiday season, so people would have off work. 
so I seem to get a lot of eyeballs from that one. And then, so so did all of these gigs pay the bills, or were you just um, spending some money that you had saved up from Google, or and how did you how did you live in China? Uh, all of the above, yeah. I so I had saved up a lot of money. The gigs that I did paid a little bit. I also got like random gigs on the side. Like I started working for Jet Li uh, in Jack Ma, the company called Taiji Zen. Yeah, uh, right, right. You hit me up about uh, Jet Li's personal assistant. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah been, <laughs> Which was interesting. Man, that would have been awesome. Jet Li. That probably wouldn't have been that tight, honestly. But it would be cool to just say that you were Jet Li's assistant for a little bit. <laughs> I I got pumped about it, and I told Julie, and I told my mom actually, and I was like. Man, this opportunity could be awesome. <laughs> and then they, they shut it down pretty quickly. Yeah, that's that was probably a good choice on both of their parts, I would say. <laughs> so what made you decide to move back to the States? I love traditional Chinese culture, but I hate contemporary Chinese culture. Um, and, uh, and, you know, not all of it, but there's a lot of things about modern China that I can't stand, like pollution and, uh, like just people like puking everywhere and pissing everywhere <laughs> and babies shitting all over the place. And it's like, You're it's, painting a pretty, pretty rough picture. Well, uh, yeah, that's you know, <laughs> China, modern day, hey, everybody who's watching this, China is tight, go there, it's a fun place, but living there for a long period of time, like there's a lot of things that are annoying that I couldn't take long term. Um, and it was really stressful for me. There's a lot of fun things in China. I loved it. I'm definitely going back. I'm probably going back this summer to visit. But it's just a really uncomfortable place to live, I would say. Unless you got, well, I mean, you know, the more money you got, the more comfortable you are anyways. But pretty, like, stressful. A lot of, like, uh, a lot of painful vibrations <laughs> going on Oh yeah. China. That's the main reason I wanted to come back. Also, I mean life coaching, I want to do this life coaching thing, and the industry of life coaching started really in America, and it's much more developed here, so I'm trying to get it figured out here, and then just be able to travel a lot more. Interesting. Do you have plans to bring that uh, that next venture back to China, or is this your plane by ear? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to get something going in China, too. I've coached people in Chinese, so I think I can pretty much do it. It's just you know, not as fluent as I when I do it in English. Definitely want to get something going in China. And, and probably, I mean, I've just been saying, like, you know, I want to get it figured out in English pretty well first before I try and do it in Chinese. But when I go to China, hopefully I'm going to China in August, I'll probably try to make some things happen. I already got, like, a public WeChat account for promoting it. and writing Oh, that's stuff, awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. We're going to miss each other. I'm going to be in China mid to late May. Okay. Uh, and then we're going to do a, a mini tour of Asia. We haven't been to most of the, the hot spots down there. We're going to hit up Seoul for a few days, nice. Tokyo, Bangkok. Be Any other recommendations? You've been everywhere down there. so. Um, go wherever you know people, I would say, would be my main recommendation. Yeah. And then just have those people show you all the tight stuff because – Seeing, I don't know, for me anyway, seeing the sites like gets old real quick. And I'm like, all right, I need some underground. What's the secret shit? You know what I mean? Like, so that's what I was always <laughs> right. into. Cool, man. So, so tell me about uh, the life coaching. Like, what is what is your philosophy to it, and um, and, and where do you want to take this? 
my vision for life ultimately is that I just want to cultivate coolness on the planet as much as possible. Um, Got it. And I believe that coaching, really all that it's about is just like really having a deep conversation with somebody about, you know, what is the coolest shit you can imagine doing it and why aren't you doing it? And you know that involves a lot of times that involves um, people having a lot of negative judgments about themselves. Um, and then that gets in the way of them want, like even, ha even having any idea about what they want to do because there's so much negative judgment there. So I find myself dealing mostly with helping people learn to love themselves um, and helping people figure out, you know, what is the, how can they, how can they start doing cool shit right now? And what do you find, or can you give an example of something that, is blocking to someone or, or you know the, the big reasons for why someone isn't doing the cool stuff that they could be doing or, or want to do yeah let me see if i can think of an example most of the time we just come up with a lot of different excuses we might say i don't know how to do it so i need to figure out how to do it first before i can start doing it that's really common and in, in, in reality that's almost always bullshit it's almost always just a sneaky way of procrastinating if you are like, oh, you know, I don't know how to do a podcast. Let me watch a million videos how to make podcasts on YouTube first. And then I'm going to like subscribe to this podcast course that this other guy put out. And once I finish that, then I'll do the podcast. But then you finish all that and you're like, oh, but now I got to get like, a sweet microphone set up. And then I got to like study all these different microphones. That's an example of what keeps people from doing the things that they really want to do. Right on. Uh, so we're almost out of time. Thanks so much for uh, for taking the time to to jump on the podcast. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they're interested in your story or if they're interested in the uh, the life coaching? Yeah, thanks, man. Glad to be on the show. If people want to get in touch, the best way would be to check out my website. All my info's on there. It's ericcoolyard.com, E-R-I-C-C-O-U-I-L-L-A-R-D.com. Um, and if anybody's interested right now, I have a special offer where I'm giving free two-hour coaching conversations to anybody who is interested in creating some kind of a transformation in themselves or in the world uh, or is just interested in doing more cool shit. Awesome. And I'll include the, the contact details you just mentioned in the description in the video. Um, other than that, uh, thank you very much for coming on. And I think at some point in the future, we'll have to bring you on again and share some of the more interesting stories from <laughs> from your experience in China and elsewhere. Yeah, word up, man. Love to come back. All right, sounds good. clientele is all about having conversations with cool people in tech and entrepreneurship and elsewhere. If you'd like to follow us or if you'd like to be on the podcast, connect with me on Twitter at Roger B. Chen.